Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here today. Um, I don't know about you, but this time of the year is my favorite time of the year being a teacher because summer is here. Thank God. Um, but I just want to share a little something because I thought it was funny. Um, you know, at the end of the school year, us teachers have to close up our classroom. So we have one more extra day than the students have. So I remember coming to work the last day, and then there's these two kids sitting outside, this two Hapa kids, a third grader and a first grader. And they were, talking, they were playing cards with one another. And as I walked by, I heard the youngest one say to the oldest one, hey, I got a great idea. Let's see who can punch each other the hardest. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is not going to end well. I know this game. I played it with my brother. And I always got in trouble being the oldest. But, you know, sometimes these kids give us, I mean, that just so good, right? Um, but kids give us these just great liners. I remember one more time, and I posted this on Facebook because I thought it was hilarious, but I remember during summer, you couldn't get me to come into the house, you know? So I was always outside, and I would get spankings for not being home on time. So as, um, as I was walking by the classroom, the teacher was, cleaning up, was busy cleaning her classroom, and then the kid, walked, the kid was doing something in the classroom, and the mom was like, go outside and play. And then the kid responds, I don't want to go outside. It's so boring. I mean, so good. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just, just how the pendulum has swung. And it's not the kids' fault. I mean, it's just how things are nowadays. But with that, let's go into our message. But I just want to share that with you because I thought it was just golden. You know, it's just golden. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today, to gather as your community, as your people, that we may hear from you, Lord. We pray that the words spoken today will be delivered by you. Breathe upon us. Let it be your words. May your presence be here today as we come seeking your face. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to continue to look at the book of Philippians. Now, Paul, in writing his letter, he's writing to this community of Philippi. Okay, and the main reason he's writing this letter is just to say, thank you so much for supporting me, for your financial support throughout my ministry. And as he's writing this, he's in prison. Um, but he just wants to say, thank you for the monetary support you gave to us the community of Philippi. Thank you for supporting my ministry. So in this letter, Paul gives us his understanding of who he believes Jesus Christ is. And how, he under, and how his understanding of Jesus has an impacting effect on the community of Philippi. Who's, and this is the people who hope and trust was in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these passages, Paul gives us this intimate glimpse of his burning conviction that God in Christ has acted to redeem the world rotten with sin. This message of redemption through Jesus drove Paul relentlessly over long distances to announce the good news to anyone that would listen. So if you have your Bible, or even if you don't have your Bible, open up your Bible app <laughs> on your phone, and let's look at the book of Philippians. So go ahead. Um, Philippians 2. 
So it reads like this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one in the Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is where his hymn comes about, his theological um, thesis about who he believes Christ is. In verse 6 it says, Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. The Greek word for servant is doulos, which could also be translated as slave. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. So in this letter to the Philippians, we get this great theological hymn given to us by Paul. And for Paul, this is who Jesus is. He goes on to explain that Jesus is the nature or the form of God. Jesus is, in essence, he embodies the likeness of God. The hymn goes on to explain that Jesus, although being the very nature of God, did not use this situation of being equal with God as something to take advantage of. The Greek word here is harpogmon. It's only used once in this situation. In the NIV, it's translated as one used for one's own advantage. In the NRSV, it translates harpogmon as something that could be exploited. So Jesus did not use his stance with God as something to be exploited. Now, I had a friend in high school, and his name is David. Um, he went to Kamehameha High School, and I remember one time he, he came to us, and he's like, oh, I just got a job, uh, my first job, and it's working at Subway. So it's like, oh, awesome, David, we love Subway. So I remember one time, me and my friends, we all got together, and we're like, oh, let's go to Subway and visit David. And, you know, at the time, me being a high school student, I was, you know, I had an allowance of $20, which wasn't much. It was to pay for school lunches, and I ate like crazy. Um, I was always hungry. So it would pay for school lunch, for, you know, gas money if I went out with my friends. It had to pay for whatever expenses, and even just to go to the movies. Movies at that time was $6.50, but out of $20, that's one-third of the, the allowance I had for the week. 
So I had to use it wisely. So I remember, and Subway back then, they didn't have the $5 foot long. It was expensive. It was like $8 for even a six inch before. It was really expensive. But I remember he was working there, and then we all came to visit. I'm like, oh, what's up, David? How's it going, bro? And he's like, oh, gosh. And five of us come in, right? And he probably knows what to expect. And we're like, oh, so what? Hook us up, hook us up, free food, huh? You're going to give us food. And he's like, uh, and I know he, we were giving him peer pressure, and he felt it, and he didn't want to disappoint his employer as well, right? He just started, first job. So we come in there giving him this peer pressure, and this is us just exploiting a friend for food. <laughs> so we come in, and we're like, oh, come on, just, oh, you can give us a sub out or something. What about discount? Discount? No? Oh. He's like, no, I can't do that. There's, there's a camera on the register. They're watching everything I do. So we're like, come on, bro, just, just one cookie. Give us a cookie. <laughs> But he couldn't do it. See, how many of us here today, if given this type of power, would not exploit it or use it to our own advantage? I know I probably would. I would do it for a cookie. <laughs> I mean, I exploited my friend for a cookie at Subway. Now, Henry Nowen wrote a short book. And in this book, it's a powerful book, um, very short. It's called In the Name of Jesus. Um, and he's a Catholic priest, but what he wrote in this book has impacted me so much. I mean, it's just a book full of golden nuggets. And in this book, he talks about three major temptations that we all face, and most of our sins stem from these temptations. Temptation, And he takes a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, these three temptations, the first one is this. And these temptations aren't bad. I mean, all of us have some sense of this, but when you take it to the extreme, it's, it can get really bad. So the first temptation is to be relevant. I want to do great things. I want to leave my mark in this world. And in doing so, you've don't care about anything. You're just concerned about making your mark, no matter what it costs. I want to do great things. The second temptation is to be spectacular. I want people to notice me, and I'll do whatever it takes for people to notice me. I want to be loved. The third temptation is to be powerful. How many of us can feel this temptation coming? I mean, just the fact that sometimes it's so much easier rather than loving God that I'd rather make decisions and be like God and make decisions for myself. I mean, in, because of this temptation, it's so much easier just to control people rather than to love people. What I love about Jesus, and this is why Jesus is so amazing to me. Jesus did not exploit or take advantage of this situation. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Jesus chose to be irrelevant. 
He chose to be vulnerable and to trust God rather than to be God and to establish his own kingdom. Jesus had the power, but he did not exploit the power to become famous or to become wealthy or to become powerful. Rather, Jesus chose to use that power to help the needy, the poor, and the forgotten. Jesus was a champion for the underdog. How many of us would do that? The opposite of being a king is to be a servant. And Jesus became a servant by becoming fully human, even though he was fully God. This all culminates at his death. And not just any old death. He didn't die of old age, but death on a cross, the death of a convicted criminal, even though he was innocent. And the result of Jesus emptying himself, God took him and he exalted Jesus to the highest place. This is a God unlike any other God, a God that puts humanity above the life of Jesus. This is a God who's moved with compassion and forgiveness and love, and not this sissy type of compassion, but a compassion that genuinely, truly cares about your situation. This is not a God who looks to exploit mankind for his own benefits. Instead, this is a God who is looking out for his creation and walks alongside them and lives in the midst of people's lives. This is a God who gives relevance to those who are irrelevant. This is a God who sees beyond our shortcomings and our sins, and our faults, and our failures. The thing that I love about Jesus is that Jesus can take our faults and our failures and bring about healing and forgiveness and wholeness as we come vulnerable before God. See, God can take our mess, the brokenness of our lives, and make it into a beautiful work of art. That's why the Bible says, for God, God can make all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He can change situations that are ugly and make them beautiful. Now, as a teacher of 9 and 10-year-olds, as an elementary teacher, I often sit there and I often wonder, what is going to become of these kids? You know, I often wonder, what kind of profession are they going to take up? Will they ever get married? Will they be great parents? Or will they even turn out to be single parents or even singles? And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just wonder, what is going to happen to their lives? I hope that great things will be in store for them. I hope that they won't get entangled with addictions, that these kids will grow up and do great things and make a huge difference in this world. For me, the possibilities are endless. As you look into the lives of these children, as they head off into the future. See, that's what I wonder as I read this passage. I wonder if Paul is thinking the same thing as he looks at the people of Philippi. 
he probably sees a group with great possibilities and great potential. He probably has some hope that they will thrive as they seek to continue to follow Christ because he might not be able to see them again. See, when you're in jail, you're, you're just being held there so that you could be on trial. Possibly, and most situation was either you were set free because you were innocent or you were put to death. So Paul doesn't know if he will ever see the people of Philippi again. But he has this hope. He gives the people of Philippi his wisdom on how this type of life could be accomplished as they live life together, as they follow Christ. Paul uses the example of Christ to give them a reminder of how life should be lived together in community. Paul is saying, if you benefited from knowing and following Christ, if you've ever been encouraged by Christ, if you've ever been comforted by the love of Christ, if you experience forgiveness and compassion, it would bid you well to do these things, and it would give me great joy if you can live together in harmony. And not just you or you individually, or you, or you, but all y'all live together in harmony. Seeing us, Ohana Christian Church, living as a collective unit, caring for one another, supporting one another, assisting one another through the good times and the bad times, that's the power of the body of Christ. The message is for all of us to come together as we follow Christ. Now, in 2007 and 2008, it was an amazing year. The people of Hawaii was going nuts over their football team. We went a perfect 12-0 and 0 in the regular season. And even Thomas and Mel and Michelle and I went to every single road game since we were living in California and we made whatever financial um, sacrifices we could go to see our warriors play in Reno and San Jose and UNLV um, and Fresno State. We weren't going to miss a game. This was something magical that was about to happen. Now, one of the greatest things to experience is being at a stadium with a crowd full of 30,000 people or 45,000 or if you go to Michigan, a hundred thousand people gathered together to watch twelve people play on a field. Twelve, eleven, because we're the twelfth man, <laughs> right? But it's amazing to see everyone standing and cheering and supporting a group of athletes playing a game on a field. Think about that. You start making friends with strangers. Just because you have one common bond, our team on the field, the team in green and white. And that common bond is to beat the other team, whether it's San Jose or Reno or Fresno State or even our hated rivalry that always kills us, Boise State. And we did it. 
we went 12 and 0 and played in the Sugar Bowl, and we got murdered. <laughs> we were always a small team, but what I believe killed us is that we stopped playing as a team. Our coach was looking for his next job. Our QB wanted to showcase his talents on the biggest stage. The thing that kills community is fierce individualism. What Paul would call selfish ambition or vain conceit. All that takes to kill the momentum and destroy the atmosphere is one individual looking out to get theirs. When players on the team start to lose trust in one another. That's why Paul says that we should not look out for our own interests, but for the interests of others. It's important to put the interests of others ahead of one's own interests. You see, as we gather together, I don't think God is cheering for one team to win or the other, but what I think he finds beautiful, and what I find beautiful, is that he sees a group of people who come together for one common interest, and they're not fighting now. They're all cheering for the same cause. And I believe God, and we're rallying around a group of people and supporting one another. I believe God looks upon that and says, this is why I created you. This is the thing that makes me happy. You supporting one another. Cheering together with one another. Living harmony with harmony with one another. This gives me great joy. You know, in Hawaii, well, in verse 6, it says, In humility, or not verse 6, verse 3 and 4, it says, In humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In Hawaii, humility is largely emphasized in our culture. Um, I remember he- hearing people saying, Oh, no grumble, be humble. Or they're always saying, You know what? I always got to be humble because, I, you know, I hear kids saying that because it's important that I be humble. And it's just largely emphasized in our state to be humble. And I think part of the reason is that we live on an island and many of our relationship with others are inter- interconnected. So we were taught always to be humble because you never know how you're related to somebody else. Now, I have a passion. I love basketball. I, I would consider myself a hoopaholic. You know, I love the sport. The, the fact that you can dribble between your legs and, and um, cross over somebody, or when you shoot a jumper and that swish, that, that sound you get when the, the ball goes to the hoop and it just goes, it's like there's such a high that you get from it. But I just love the sport, but I'm getting older. And, um, but I remember one time I came home from Pasadena and I came to Hawaii and I used to always go to the, this one particular park in Ayahaina. And one day we went there and then we had this game going on and I remember my friend, we'll call him E. Um, I was on E's team and it was us five against the other five. And the game just started. And he's this kind of big husky guy. He's not very tall, but he's wide. And I remember the game just started, 0-0. So the guy drives through the lane, 
takes a jumper at the, right below the free throw line. The ball hits the back of the rim and bounces back to him, and he gets the rebound. And all I see E do was this. So I'm like, okay. So the guy grabs the ball, takes a dribble, takes another shot, hits the back of the iron again, ball bounces back to him. All I see E do again was... And I'm thinking, jump, man, do something. He's playing center. So he takes another shot, hits the back of the rim, and it falls back to him. And at that point, I'm frustrated. I'm like, come on, man, get the ball. And all of a sudden, his demeanor changed. He, he wasn't trying to work harder for us to win. He was mad at me. And we started trash talking all the way down the court. Same team. He takes a shot. I'm like, you're such a scrub. You're two feet away from the basket. You can't even finish that. And then I took a shot. He's like, see, missed again, always missing. And we're just trash talking. And I, at this point, I'm like, even if we win this game, we lose in the long run. You know, because, and I thought, we're not going to win this game anyway. We don't have any chemistry. We don't care right now. It's all about us right now. See, I fell into the temptation of wanting to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful. I wanted to be a winner. And because of that, I fractured a relationship I had with one of my friends. And at that point, it taught me one of the most important lessons, that relationships is more important than winning. It's great if you can have a great relationship and win together, but you can't do it without another person on your team. Now, my friends and I still play basketball at Salt Lake, and I'm getting older now. My knees are bad. I have to go to PT for therapy because I can't run as I used to be. I, I hope when we get to heaven that I'll be my 25-year-old self where I can run and jump, and then even better than my 25-year-old self where I can actually dunk finally. Um, that'd be awesome. But I hope there's basketball in heaven. But there's always, we always go to the park, and we, we end up playing together with, um, well, there's a group of my friends. And there's this one guy, and he found out that I'm a pastor at Ohana Christian Church. So every time I see him, he's like, hey, pastor. And I'm like, girl, just call me Danny. You knew me as Danny before you found out I was a pastor. Just call me Danny. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, pastor. I'll call you, I'll call you Danny. I'm like, All right, Carl. But I'm trying to get him to call me Danny instead of pastor. You know how much pressure it is to have that title? I'll let you in on a little secret. Pastors are just as human as you are. Although I appreciate the title, my value in a human being is not in the title. My value is no greater than anybody else. I'm walking the same journey as you. I face the same temptations as you face. We all face the same temptations to be relevant, to be spectacular, to be powerful. And every time I step on the court, 
I'm, temp- I'm tempted to win no matter what the cost. And I'm not the greatest basketball player, I'll be honest with you, but I just love the game. I need to constantly remind myself that people's value is not in their performance, even though I hate when they're the ones helping me to lose. (laughs) And they probably feel the same way about me. See, the value is in their being, in who they are. They are all created in the image of God. And therefore, I need to constantly remind myself that it's the relationship that is greater than the win. And if we can do both together, that's awesome. The thing that I need to remind myself is that win or lose, I need to genuinely show them that I love them, even when they suck. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And we do this all because we call Jesus Christ Lord. Contrary to what one might expect, the true nature of God is not to grasp or to get or to selfishly hold on to things for personal advantage, but to give them up for the enrichment of all. To look out for the greater good, because Jesus gave up his life for the greater good. And there's no greater testimony than seeing us, Ohana Christian Church, a group of believers living as a community of faith, hope, and love, built around the lordship of our King, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.